So welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we have with us Adebayo Balaji, or Ade, as I know you, Ade. And really pleased to have you join us today for the podcast. Good to be with you guys too. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Now, the first thing that we always do, rather than us kind of tripping over how you describe yourself, is just to hand it to you, because I know that you're a man of multiple different incarnations. So I'd love to know, how would you introduce yourself, Ade? And I just I, I just have to say that a funny thing happened there, because as Dan asked you that question, <laughs> for those people who are just listening and couldn't see, you kind of put your, your face in your hands for a moment, like, oh, I hate that question. Like, how do I introduce myself? So, so which was quite funny. So <laughs> who yeah. are you, Ade? Yeah, I, I always actually prefer when other people... Um, you know, introduce me because then, I don't know, it gets really complicated and then I start intellectualizing it and trying to say, is that, is that really right? But anyway, I will answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll keep it simple and just say, I'm, I'm an artist, essentially, and that I like to make things. I like to build things. And I'm finding more and more that that can come outside the traditional context of what we know as art. But for me, uh, there just is a continual alignment with creativity in those things that I build. So it can even be not making a painting, but it could be like building an individual up, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? So I would say I'm an artist, dash, I like to make things. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I mean... <clears throat> I was always really clear that I wanted to invite you for us to have this conversation as part of original, this series of podcasts, because, you know, we first worked together in the theatre. So the first incarnation of Ade that I knew was as a, as a fellow performer in a theatre company, somebody who, you know, sang and acted alongside me. Yeah. And then over the last decade, I guess, I have watched your you know, different kinds of making and creating develop and, and turn into something else. So I've always been interested in following your story and just watching the journey as as it has happened. Um, so I'm, I'm really pleased that you're here. So thank you. Thank you. I'm really pleased as well because, um, you know, like you said, I worked with you in theatre and I always feel like every kind of talk or interview I do like theatre is like a key foundation hmm. I think like also it's a practice that does not get the respect that it really should get I, I think performers in general I think it offers principles that have been a guiding tool for me in everything that I do so um, I'm glad you mentioned that and yes it's nice to be speaking to fellow performers mm -hmm. So we can get all really cheesy and arty and stuff. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but so I'm interested in that. So what's what would you say is a kind of key principle or a key discipline that you learned as a performer that informs you know your relationship to a canvas or or a thing that you are making? Okay, this is. I'm just going to also say I like what we we did. You know, in terms of like clearing the mind and listening and stuff, because what's really come to my mind right now, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I think the first word that came to me is showing up. Hmm. As an actor, regardless of how you're feeling, you show up, right? I mean, old school, really good, especially for theatre, right? You show up and then something happens. Like, so if you're having a really crap day, show up to the theatre and you're, you know, you've got to do this role. You've got to play the scene and serve the play. So you become like a servant of the piece. You kind of take your crap out the way and you leave it at the door, so to speak. And you're like, you put this costume on or whether it's, you don't have one, you might not have a physical costume, but proverbially you're putting another character on, you know, and living out that thing for two hours, one hour, however long you're doing it. So you show up, right? But then something really interesting happens that the work that you're doing, the play can actually, if you're having a crap day, can, for me, has helped me. 
like so at the end I've sometimes left the stage and I feel better you know, that's happened, you know. So to answer your question, one principle, one rule is this thing of the idea knowing that sometimes overthinking something can get in the way and you just show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just show up. Whereas I think a lot of artists that come straight out of art school can get in this really romantic sort of let's say self-indulgent or that can have a negative connotation but this getting in within one's own head so much so like oh life is just tormented I can't create my work right now I'm, I'm gonna do nothing whereas for me I think yes I can have those feelings but I I'm go actually I'm here to serve I've got I've got a job to do show up and you do it I mean yeah, yeah. totally mm-hmm. um you, you referenced the fact that before we pressed record, we, we all cleared our listening together, which was was something that maybe some people listening to this podcast might know about because we have a podcast about it. But it's it was um, it was about us all getting in this same space in this afternoon where we're on a Zoom together. It's really easy to bring a load of other stuff into the space that is not necessary. And I really like that idea of just showing up, that idea of getting out of your own way as an artist because I think we probably will all identify with that feeling of really getting in your own way being your own block to your own creativity which is crazy everybody has creativity but a lot of us all of us I would say at times block our own creativity by standing in the way of it yeah I'm not that important you know I think we think we're more important than we are Mm. like no I make up the nucleus like the whole structure of the planet earth as you and I do so this thing about me being, oh, I'm the key. No, I'm not the key. I'm part of something else that's happening. So this, why do I say that? I say that because I think there is a narrative with this not showing up where we are in, I, if I get in my way, then I'm making it about me. Mm. Now my work might be about me in terms of from an autobiographical point of view or using my own experiences, but it's not an self-indulgent me, you know? Mm. Um, can I have moments of that? Yes, like, can it be therapy for me? Yes, it can. But essentially, I still have to make the work. Yeah. It's got, it's got to be made. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think, and, and I actually think there's a difference between thera- therapy and therapeutic as well. You know, expressing yourself, whether it's painting a picture or telling your story, uh, creating something is therapeutic. You know, you suggest you enter the theatre with a load of stuff and you leave the theatre having been through a catharsis or something, let go of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that are coming to mind for me. One is, well, one is really how brilliantly Nike have kind of turned that idea, which is just, just do it, you know, mm-hmm. and how that's that's totally true. If you, you can buy a pair of running shoes, it doesn't mean that you can run. You have to put the shoes on and you have to run in them. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, just as a piece of, you know, marketing quintessentially is that. But also how how I see that in lots of different areas of my life. You know, when, when Dan and I are making pieces of theatre, if we don't, if we don't show up, if we don't try something, if we don't just keep doing, they just remain locked in us as stories or ideas. It's like you have to, to understand what the story is. We have yeah. to tell the story because then we listen to ourselves telling the story and we learn about telling the story by by listening to ourselves tell the story. So we just have to show up and do it. And I think sometimes I can find that really hard to just show up. Um, and also, you know, I, I do classes with a yoga teacher who says that every morning she just has to show up to her mat and and do and just do some yoga and she would learn something about herself every day in relation to how it feels to show up there to the mat yeah and you mentioned a key word you said learn and I think okay but how does one learn right immediately to my mind there are two ways by one making a mistake so then you know not to do it again but in order to do that that means you have to make a mark you've got to make a choice now if it's wrong it means it's not intrinsically wrong it means that for that moment at that time, maybe you would you should not have gone right. Okay, why did you when you're not meant to go right? Because of X, Y, Z. So you're learning now, you're growing. 
Mm. Or the other kind of learning where it's what I call grace, where somehow you didn't even, you don't even know how that happened. It's like magic, right? Mm. You're there and something just comes into your mind. It's like a gift. And you've learned something, but it was through no effort of your own. It was probably by, I'm not even going to use the word listening. You can just walk and it's like something dropped in your head. Mm. Right? And we, as an artist, we're really lucky when that happens to us. For some reason, things drop on our head and it's not dropping on someone else's. Mm. And that's why I'm able to go, I ain't that good at, I ain't, yeah, you can go, I'm the shit, whatever, but it's not like, Mm. I mean, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, who I love, I was watching an interview about him the other day and some guy who made, not some guy, was a producer he worked with for years who made a documentary about his life and said that people called him a genius. And his wife was like, look, Stan Kubrick would say 80% of it was a dedication. Showing, showing up. Yeah. Showing and, up. And doing the work. And then that other 20% is the thing that we cannot explain. But the thing you cannot explain needs an instrument. So the instrument has to show up. <laughs> like, you can just keep coming back to it. So, yeah. There's um there's so many different directions that uh, I, we could go in from here, and I hope that we get to explore all the tributaries. But what's coming up for me now is, um, you know, you talked about making the mark. You have to you you literally will have a blank canvas in front of you, and you have to make the first mark. And there's something different between being um, an actor on stage who kind of makes a mark in the moment in time and somebody who puts something indelible onto a blank canvas that's going to be there for time. And so I'm interested um, about the connection. You know, I, I'm loving this, the principles that came out of performing for you. And I'm interested to understand something of that transition from one time-bound form of art into another time-bound form of art, if that makes sense. Well, I think we're all, everyone's painting, but in different ways. And so what do I mean? Let's say I liked what you said about a painter making a mark on a canvas, an actor in the moment in time. But as you know, Peter Brooks said, but theatre is not complete unless you have an audience, right? Mm. So let's say arguably the audience is the actor's canvas in a way. So if you look at arts like a mirror, and then the audience are watching the performance and the actor's doing something, making an impression that may change someone. Right. Mm. So without sounding too metaphysical, but a painting's being made within people, I feel like you're going out and you're changing the environment, you're changing the world, and people are going out and expressing themselves, maybe not even maybe consciously. You have like people who grow up and they watch TV programs and you learn some people have learned from actually how to navigate the world from watching their favorite TV program. Yeah. Like the speech pattern of a character, the way a character walks you like you take it on and so when you go and watch something in theater it could be like an ideology or something that's expressed through a character or the way someone's cried or emoted like that sticks and then something's created it's made right because i could make arguably i could make a mark on a painting and no one may ever see that painting ever and that's how far that painting goes but the beauty of theater is actually you're making a mark into a human being who's now just going out, mm. taking something that you've done, you know? So it, the painting can live on if people see it. And, and from what I've heard you say in, in, in writing um, or, or people asking you about your work is that that dialogue element yeah. of your work is absolutely crucial it's always about the the dynamic between you and the listener watcher viewer yeah it's it's crucial for me it's like i i do always see it people go oh do you see it like a performance and i feel that's a bit of a limiting word i feel like because that for somehow when you say performance something sounds in it doesn't sound sincere mm. right mm. so i'm like I am always thinking not I'm going to make this piece so someone likes it. The more I always think about what do I mean when I say the exchange, the, the engagement is that, I mean, 
what, what do you think when you when you come to a piece of artwork let me ask you this question when you come to a piece of artwork do you think about the person making it or like what's your experience when you when you come to a piece of artwork a painting or sculpture let's say paint let's say a painting well I was, I think it's really complex because I think that I uh, when I came to see your show the power and the pause and so I think I was thinking about you because you'd written something at the beginning about these were works that were created during lockdown. Yeah. So that gave me a kind of image of you in, yeah. in that particular moment in time that we all experienced, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of looking at the works and thinking about, oh, I wonder where your head was at when you made that. But I noticed that at the same time that I was feeling really distinct emotions in my body. So I would look at something that you had made and maybe consciously I'm thinking about you, but it's yeah. it's having an impact in my body, which is then going into my story because I was thinking about that time for me, which was a mixture of being really anxious at times. I, was, I got really scared at the very beginning of it. And then times where um, I was just, you know, we're lucky enough to have a garden. So to have a some outside space that I could be in and actually yeah. stop running here, there and everywhere was yeah. actually amazing for me. It took me several weeks to just kind of stop the internal spinning. But then yeah. when it stopped, I discovered that I had some space. And then it was a time of loss as well. You know, we we lost two animals, two of two pets that we had. Um I mean, I know in the scheme of things, that is small loss because other people had much bigger loss. But for us, okay, it's relative. You know, we lost these companions that actually in six months of lockdown, we spent all day every day with and it changed our relationship to these two cats. And then they both died within a week. So I had all my stories and all my feelings about your work as as I looked at the artwork. So I think it's so it's really complex. You're kind of looking at, oh, that's an image. And I think that that's a king. And I think that that's about power. And I think the meaning of this, you know, so there's all that intellectual stuff going on. And then there's what it does in in my body as well. And I think um, and I didn't see your exhibition, Ade, but I've, I've seen some images from it. But just thinking about that, that um, interaction with art, there's um, there's just a, a feeling that things uh, that that an impact that something has from color and form that you have to just trust this makes me feel this I don't know why then you know I can intellectualize it maybe and I can think about you as the artist and your intentions but also what does this make me feel yeah yeah I think and I think maybe if I if I take time to go hmm the reason why I do not paint in literal form is because I think literal form can potentially inhibit conversation and dialogue. In other words, it's this complete statement and there's a full stop, right? Or it's just a technical expression that I'm saying, look at me, right? Look what I can do. Whereas when I break that form up and I question, and let's use like we all know Brett's like this referendum thing, when you kind of have a, for those listening who don't know what that is, that's where you know, Brecht would uh, create pieces of theatre where you would have two opposing themes, it seemed, on the stage to make the audience not feel lazy and just feel like they're spoon-fed. So the audience would engage and go, why? And when I paint in an abstract way, I think what I'm doing is I'm giving suggestions of things that you are familiar with, but do not stop there. In other words, it's kind of like, well, it reminds me of this. It makes me feel this. And then you start going, why? And then you start having a dialogue and you start being awakened. And for me, it's, I just want people to feel alive. And I think that's because that's what painting did for me. It literally woke me up and you don't know you're sleeping until you wake up. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Oh, I love that. I mean, and and it has, you know, for me, so relates to how we think about storytelling, which is in the way that we tell stories, we teach people and we aim to take away the interpretation because it's so easy to tell a story like, oh, this amazing thing happened to me. But amazing means that you've done the work for the listener. And, And yet if I just show you what happened, then the listener gets to think, 
oh, that sounds amazing. Or they might think, you know, various nuances of that, depending on what I show them in, in okay. the story. Yeah. Um, so so that's that completely relates to how you talk about your work I also love how you know I was looking on your Instagram and for some you caption things like interpret take it as you will because I think there's there's a you know there can be this great tyranny I think in people looking at art and thinking am I interpreting this the right way am I getting this uh do I understand this which um you know, I think historically has been a real barrier against people really engaging with what art is and can be, which is for everyone, you know. Um, just that. No, go ahead. Bill can, like, <clears throat> I'm glad you, I mean, you mentioned that. And because I remember doing a show in Switzerland, like the second time I was showing there, and the gallery assistant was there. She, she wasn't permanent, but she was like an intern. And, um, before the exhibition opened, we're just going around and they like to be informed again about the works in case collectors want to know more, etc. which is obviously like a buying procedure, which is all good. And then I just asked, so what, what do you think about this piece? And then I realized what happened in her was, was this switch because she was like, oh no, the artist is asking me what I think. This is how I was interpreting the, the transition in the coloring of her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. the back and everything like, oh, the artist is answering me, don't mess it up, say the right thing. All of these things you could see like happening, you know. Mm. Um, and then she started giving me kind of like academic answers. Then I was like, okay, that's cool, but what do you think? Like, mm. you don't even have to like it. Like, how do you, mm. how do you think mm. about it? And um, then she relaxed. And then she was just like, well, I like the colours. I was like, that's nice. It's so, it was like so simple. Like, mm. it, it sounds elementary. It sounds boring. I like the colours. I was like, well, no, you like the colours. Like, that's the first impulse, be honest. And then it might take you somewhere else. Because then I can go, oh, what about the colours do you like? She was like, well, you know, I like how they're just bold. Mm. And so you, then why do you like things that are bold? I think because I feel bored in life. Now, you see, now, now this thing is happening and it's going on and on. And then it's not just, it might sound simple at first, but the minute, if you have someone who can engage with you, then you unravel all of those answers. Then there is something, if you want it to be deep, there is something deeper, you know? Yeah. So that interpret it as you will, as you brought up, that what I normally, for those listening in my Instagram post, I might put underneath like, yes, interpret, take it or dash interpret it as you will um because i also think that depending on what the especially if it's like a, a quote or something i've written where it might be seem a bit political they might feel like i think one can impose or project and think oh i think he's of this political point of view i think he's of that and I, i'm not literally saying anything per se i'm, I'm just starting a conversation Mm-hmm. So I definitely like bringing people out of themselves. I think that's going back to that thing of building. I like building people up. I just like seeing change from one state to another state. Mm. Yeah. And in your story about the gallery assistant, you know, really it was the way that you listened to her, you observed what happened to, you know, you talked about, you know, the colour of her eyes, the the, the posture of her back. So you listened to her at this very deep level and validated whatever she said. So she started with the colours and what that told you or what what she got from that was that my opinion about this is valid and he's really listening to me and it's okay. Whatever I say about it is is okay, which is fantastic, I think. I've had people avoid friends of mine who I thought, oh, if I, if I was to be really stereotypical, I would have thought it was another group of friends. But the ones who kind of dress or go about like they're really high cultured, maybe who work in, I don't know, particular corporate worlds or fields, and I go, hey, there's a gallery opening, they wouldn't come because they go, dude, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. with the art world, art market, they're like, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say about the work. And then they feel they're disappointed me as well. Like I'll ask a best mate who I grew up with, maybe from 12 years old, and we're completely in different fields now. Like they're dealing high corporate, something else. And I, I send them a WhatsApp image and I'm like, so what do you think of the sculpture? And they go blank. They're like, 
Yeah. Oh, oh mate, I just I don't get it. <laughs> it is, it's terrible. It's a terrible indictment, isn't it, of of our kind of culture in a way that you know a lot of people get in their own way in relation to contemporary art because they yeah. a block comes up that there's a right and there's a wrong. It's for yeah. me. It's not for me. I don't understand it. No. I don't know what to say. Rather no. than just. I feel this about this. I feel nothing about this one. This one makes me feel angry. This one makes me feel joyous. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've taken us back to you being 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've also talked about your, you know, your interest in, in change, you know, mm-hmm. transformation. So I'd really love to go take you back and hear about the transformation of, of Ade um, and you know, what took you into theatre, for mm. starters, and you've also touched on this moment where painting kind of saved you, that painting opened something up for you. So I'd love to hear something about, you know, when we when we have our original kind of headline for this, the the origins yeah. of our day. So, so if I was to, I just want to add something to this question, because as soon as you invoked 12-year-old Ade, I just thought, I need to see this boy. I need to see 12-year-old Ade. So if, yeah. so, so like take us to a moment in time when you were 12, or it may have been a slightly different age, but a moment when you first started performing maybe, or, you know, what, what would we see and hear if we saw Ade then? If you saw me, if you if Michael Jackson was playing in a room, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I am moving and I'm getting everyone to look at what I'm doing, and they're going, "Wow, oh, this little kid can do the moonwalk, or he can spin like the eight spins like Michael Jackson." Like all you needed to do was have Billie Jean or something like another tune's playing. I'm not moving. I don't care. And then it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and you just like all of a sudden and my family, yeah my family who call me um junior because i've got the same name as my dad so they wouldn't call me by the same name in our culture they'll be like junior and so they as soon as they hear mj everyone goes junior like that <laughs> i've gone i've gone i was just starting to dance and move but the first thing in terms of like acting like hmm. well it's like school plays are great this is why you know you cannot destroy the arts in school. You really, you can't. You really, especially because it's so convoluted in terms of like kids are coming from different backgrounds and cultures that respond to the environment in different ways. So what I mean is my family, you know, came over from Nigeria. I was born here. But then my dad, who was working for a big company at the time, you know, back then where we grew up, we were the only black family in this neighborhood and so there's all of this pressure the stakes are high there's like culture differences expectations racism and all of these things they're having to survive so the pressure that make sure you stand out you have to be extra good Mm. extra this extra that you know so there's this weight on you so something like performing it's like are you having a laugh like (laughs) do you think that you're going jump my dad used to jump about on stage when there's all of this at stake, mm. they like that they look at you and they see us dance and stuff already. They who mean like the white community mm. to be like they there's no they're not no one's impressed by that. In fact, that's what they expect. Because but if you can stand and you can be on your own two feet and be eloquent, nothing to do with money, then you've got people's respect. Then you could he goes any educated man in a room that can share his point of view, communicate it. Um, it's powerful. And I remember him saying things like that and that resonating as a kid. Mm. Because I could even, I could tell what he meant because I would go to National Youth Music Theatre, which was probably the best times of my life. I'm jumping a bit here, but I can tell you how I got into that. But youth theatre and stuff, and I was what you call the TBG. I was the token black guy. I was always the only black kid. There might be someone else and we recognize each other and we'll be like, hey, it's just like unspoken thing. Like, I see you, you see me. Oh. And then, but no one's being mean. No one's being actively mean to you, but people are they're kind of saying things carelessly, hmm. you know, or you can even still even be the popular one, but then something will happen where you walk into a super drug and the, the security guard is still looking at you and it's not looking at your mate. Then all of a sudden there's, 
You know, there's always these little social things that bring you back to reality. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I'm mentioning all of that when I said the arts are important and mentioning my parents because my parents had a particular way of behaving towards us for reasons, for good reasons, not for this controlling, abusive. No, it was, we're trying to protect you. We're trying to raise you up in the right way. Mm. So with that, trying to do any performance or anything like, like that in school, nah. In our house, my dad had a huge vinyl collection, huge. Mm. Like I had, it was like the Temptations, you know, the Call of the Gang. And then like, you know, every, everything, mass soul and jazz and gospel. It's like huge in our house. Great. Uh, if you remember where you could like com- connect a, a video camera to the TV and you could see yourselves on the TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's family videos of my brothers all in the eighties, like with really tight jeans, worn down tight V, you know, vintage top. Like everyone's like fighting to be seen, seeing themselves on the camera, dancing to like thriller album or like, yeah, the temptations or something. And, I'm in the corner of my nappies, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were surrounded by music, 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 and lots of, a huge community because, you know, if you're the only kind of black family, then you're, everyone kind of knows each other or other Nigerians, my mom, you know, they invite them around, jollof rice, eating, it's just like community, right? Mm-hmm. And so then... I grew up the youngest, massive family. And then it gets to around, you mentioned 12 years old. Yes, I was performing, but it really happened at 14. And that was my secondary school was in Bugsy Malone. And I, I just remember going, oh, I want to audition for that. Um, didn't think anything of it, just auditioned and carried on playing football. And then they were like, oh, you've got, they're like, oh, the parts are on the wall in this. Go, go and look in the school hall. You're going to see who's got what. And I went, I said, oh, I got fizzy. And my mate was like, mate, that's the lead. I was like, is it? Who's that? It's like, that's the lead role. Like, you're playing one of the feet. You've got to have a song and stuff. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Great. Um, and I didn't, you don't, I was like, I could sing and dance, but I didn't think anything of it because that's what we do at home. Hmm. Like, we're always, like, we entertain ourselves by singing, hmm. dancing. And like making up scenes, it's just like you something you did. But then my kind of white friends were going to Saturday acting clubs. You know, the, these parents were sending to, to these clubs. It wasn't that we were not allowed to glow. It's not like there was a sign that said no blacks. It was just mm. a cultural thing, maybe. Mm. Like, you know, we were just doing it at home. Mm. Um, watching TV and learning from what you're watching. But we, I wasn't going to these clubs. I didn't have tap classes, whatever. And, um, anyway, so yeah, I did the school play. I was like, wow, I'm at, I love this. Girls love this. If you could get the girls to like turn their heads, then you're like, I'm doing this for life, man. <laughs> this is cool. Like, this is great. But like you get, when you do a school play as well, like everyone comes to watch you in a school play, right? So you you're popular as well. Yes. So you walk down the school hall and everyone goes, fizzy, or they go tomorrow. And it's like, and they, then they don't have a conversation with you. You're just cool. You're just like, they're not necessarily like your friend now, but you just, you're, you're the actor now. Like, yeah. You know. well, you've, made, you've made yourself be seen, you know, literally you are seen by everyone. What did your parents say when they came to see you as fizzy? They didn't come. Um, actually, did they come to see it? Did they even come to see it? Um, no, the first thing they saw was later on. They didn't. But what happened was... You know, I have to just say, Addy, my jaw dropped when you said that, <laughs> when you said they didn't come. Because I was just like, what? What? Because <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a big thing. Yeah. It's, just like, ah, it's just like, ah, you're performing us. That's good. That's good. Let's carry on. Go and read your book. Like, <laughs> like, it's just like... Well... If, I, if you said like, oh yeah, I won the science award or something. Yes, that's great. That's, you know... The debating awesome. society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But like, okay, like it's just whatever. But I didn't feel the type of. I didn't feel like oh, I'm being abused or left out. My parents. Yeah. Are, I didn't think anything. I was just like, yeah. actually, good. Don't come and see it. Leave me alone. Yeah, kind of, I could be naughty or whatever. But you know. <laughs> but um. It so was, that's that set you on a bit of a trajectory, then, did it, with the National Youth yeah, Music Theatre? Yeah, and Youth Music Theatre and stuff. And I auditioned for that. I didn't tell my dad I was going to audition for it. Got into it. 
And then when they found out that I got in, because a, a letter came through and the letter was like, we want him to come and do Bugsy Malone in the West End, but also would he like to come perform at Andrew Lloyd Webber's house? My whole family just turned their head and was like, what? Like, <laughs> what have you been getting up to? <laughs> like, and everything changed. Like, so I was doing that for, till I was like 18. Mm. I, I did, I'm actually in the history of NYMT, it's me and someone else that have done the most shows. I've got, I did seven and a half. So wow. I, was, I got in every single year. That was Edinburgh Festival three times, Tokyo, the West End, uh, Fringe, like men. Wow. I mean, people who have big names now, all of that stuff. And yeah, that was like the real ground of just loving to perform. Hmm. So I want to know now when the law comes into it, because I heard you say, my dad said, if you can be eloquent and you can stand up um, and have a voice in a room, you've got power. And I know that you went into law at some point. Yeah, it was when I turned 18, my last show in YMT was like, creation that I did and then my, I did my A-levels at Richmond College, Richmond Fontaine's College, loved one of my best times there and then um, it was like okay what are you going to do now and I was like in my head I was like I know that they're, they're not going to go drama school I just know it but I was like I want to go drama school nope boom like are you having a laugh you've got a brain you've been doing to them they were like you, you you don't need to go drama school because you clearly can do this thing already. Mm. You audition and you get in. Like to them, it was just like, why are you going to waste your yeah. brain when this thing comes easy to you? So they didn't get it. Whereas you and we all know that a conservatoire and like what training does and how the industry responds to that in terms of being a renowned school, we all know strategically all of those Mm. the values they have that has my parents were not theatrically inclined musically yes but didn't know that well so they were just like no that just seems like a waste so it was a huge argument back and forth i was even to my dad no okay i want to stand study anthropology then he's like what is that what's what's all this stuff was like no and he went i think you should study law and i said why he goes because you can argue (laughs) he knew that (laughs) yes it was a weird way of like complimenting me and smacking me at the same time <laughs> uh, I was kind of confused going, I kind of feel good <laughs> You're like beating me up But forcing me to do something This is really weird manipulation But And now I can't say no Because you've just said I'm good at the thing that Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really weird But anyway, I just got I ended up, st- I'm keeping it sh- short for you It's longer than that And my mum was involved too Both of them were just like very much Please, we just think you should do this thing and I gave in and um, yeah, I studied law, but I hated it. I was a complete recluse. And I always let people know that I could not remember one person. I cannot remember one person's name from the whole thing. That's weird, right? Mm. I for three years, three and a half years. Mm. I, again, I, I've said this before, but I only remember one person's name, Ian McLeod. And he, he, he wrote a book that's used in a lot of law schools called Legal Method. And I remember him because his teaching really impressed me because it was like expository teaching. In other words, it's not someone who just sits there and opens a textbook and gives a lecture. He'd basically have the notes and leave the notes and walk around like a preacher or something. But he told me how much he knew his subject. And I loved that. I just resonated with that. I would, I remember his name, but beautiful women around don't remember their name. Guys at a pub don't remember. I don't remember anybody's name because I hated it. I just clock in and clock out. Mm. And you got to the end of it. And what what happened then? I worked for a wheel writing company. I worked for a security company doing contracts in Canary Wharf. Um, Yeah, I was just working. I didn't go and do the LBC or the bar. Like I didn't study as a barrister or solicitor. I just got the degree. I think I find that there's such a poignancy in that story though, and the perspective of your parents, you know, arriving here and wanting, you know, what they wanted for you yeah. and how they thought you had to go about getting that that status and that power and that idea of, you know, you have to be better. You have to really be able to prove yourself, to be eloquent, to argue a point, to have any power in this place and where you know, and where that comes from in their story and then and in their experience. Yeah, because you can imagine, I mean, for my father, it's a really good point, like an educated man, really well 
read, very, very smart. Um, and then being in a room and then having someone from his point of view who was like less educated or something and like degrading him by virtue of the color of his skin mm-hmm. and all these cultural differences, like it's very frustrating, very, more so then if you really take, I mean, we've really forgotten how times were. Mm-hmm. Like riots mm-hmm. were happening where particular things were written on doors and stuff, you know, when mm-hmm. it was like going a bit even further back when it was illegal for I wouldn't be able to marry my wife now, like, mm-hmm. for example, you know, that'd be illegal. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, there's things like that, like, so I can understand it, but from a very subjective, from a personal point of view, it was very hard for me as well. It was like, how can, how can you, what, you're just forcing me to be this thing. So I effectively died. I was dead. That's how I saw it. Like you had killed the very core thing that makes me, me. But at the same time, having said that, I was ma- learning other parts of myself that I didn't know was me. Like, I read all the time. Like, you can't study law and not read. It's not like maths where you can kind of, you know, some people, they just know things. They, they haven't, mm-hmm. one would say, a mathematical brain. But you either know the law or you don't. Mm-hmm. You can't make it up. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to read. And then I found that I discovered I love to read. And then... I wasn't going out. I wasn't seeing friends. And then I fell in love with cinema. Mm. And I didn't know that what my eyes were falling in love with was imagery. Big mm. time. Like I started building up a collection, like huge DVD film buff, like huge. I'm, I'm being serious, like huge. <laughs> like I was watching all the time, but then I was watching them for different reasons. I stopped caring about the dialogue. If I watched like a Woody Allen film or something, I'd be like, wow, dialogue. Just listen to when I got obsessed with him, I'd find mm-hmm. out any interview he did or books. I just like, and then it's a chain of events from he loved Ingmar Bergman, and then I watch more Bergman films, and it's mm-hmm. just like you just keep going. Who did they love? Who did they, who were they into? And like, and then you got into European cinema. Then I'd watch that and be like, oh, who does that person love? Who are they into? And then that world is opening me up into more visual imagery like fashion, and I'm I'm getting obsessed with this stuff like clothes, but not from a like shallow point of view, from like this aesthetic constructive like point of view like it just starts more those than like I walk into museums and I just like to walk about in them but I didn't know what was happening to me like how I see myself now it's almost like I was sown a seed Mm. like these ingredients that make up the person who you are now you know um but then these were all forms of escape Mm. all forms of escape they were just like I can I can I can exist like this like I can I could have, like, I love my own company. I know how to do it. Like, I enjoy things and I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm all good. But, yeah. That That's amazing. It, it's like the, mm-hmm. um, if I was watching the movie of your life, you know, it's this kind of turning point, this person who finds another life through the screen and watching movies. Well, there's as, a great great montage sequence we yeah. had there of you, <laughs> you know, being in the cinema <laughs> and reading and... Um, <laughs> But but through that, what you're learning, you know, and it, and that frees you, and and you're learning about the power of image, and it's mm. kind of honing the 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 visual for you, the sense of the the visual. Yeah, I didn't know. Like again, I quote him all the time, Spike Lee. When I saw, I'd seen his films with my brothers, but now I was just my own man. Now I was living on my own, self acting. And I was rediscovering all of these things for myself now as a, as a young man. So I went back and bought a box set of his films and I was seen do the right thing, almost like seeing it for the first time. We'd all seen it in the home, but now I was seeing it with different eyes. Mm. And I was like, my, I was blown away. I just saw Ernest Dickinson's cinematography, the opening scene that zooms in on, I forgot the actress's name, but she's just dancing and they got Fight the Power playing. And it's just a powerful opening scene. And then the red wall where the three men are just like discussing. And then I was so into the way he was cutting, like the way his films were cut, the jump cuts. And I thought, that's really hip. Hmm. And then my brother who I was living with, he was in a band and he was playing jazz and he got really obsessed with jazz. And, and I was learning from him. Then I got obsessed, on, got onto Coltrane. And it's just a completely different world. Like a cultured world, if you will. Like it was very different from what I was doing before. Like I would not have 
entered this world if I went straight to drama school, put it that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would be a different complete, I just would have gone straight to doing the typical thing everyone else does, absorb the same teaching and that's it. But now I was like reading different things, listening to different things, away, away and just being kind of cultured in a different way. And something I'm getting from talking about jazz and talking about jump cutting and and all the different forms you were absorbing voraciously, there's some interest in form there as well. Uh-huh. Not just content or image, but form, you know, yeah. jump cutting and jazz are, you know, just two very different types of thinking about form. And if I look at, if I look at what I'm looking at now on the screen, I, you know, you play with different forms, you play in different mediums. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't see, and they, and they connect. Mm. Here's the thing. I, I said to myself, like once when I came to painting, I was like, if I came to this, eight, nine years ago before, I would, it may, I don't know, I don't know if the same stuff would have come out of me. It might have, but I would be afraid of it or I would have laughed at it. Mm. it Coming out of me now and I was like, I get this. Like, yeah, (laughs) I completely get what this is. That's that, that connects to that. That's, that would be in that film or I just, it made sense because it's like I'd gone through it in a different way. And I, I know who I am. And I didn't know who I was before, but I came to a place mm. where I know who I am or who I am becoming. Mm. So when I say I know who I am, I don't mean full stop, but there's yeah. a strong sense of self, you know. So mm. one feels like I feel confident about the mark I'm making. I'm like, no, that's my mark. You know, before I would have been like, uh, do you like that? Is that right? Now it's like, no, that's my mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something about the confidence of of your own voice, then I think, and I'm I'm interested in you know you've done a, a jump cut to the moment that you stepped into painting and the art world and what that um, and what you got from that. And one thing that I've I kind of noticed you say I really like my own company, and I'm and we're seeing you sitting in your studio and you've shown the camera around you in a big space on your own with your art. Now my mum's a painter and I've worked with my mum, but and it was a great collaboration, but I noticed how different we worked because I'm used to this. And you as an actor came from a space of, when I say this, I'm, I'm pointing at the dynamic between us, that kind of backwards and forwards. But you're equally happy with that backwards and forwards with other people. Yeah. And being on your own, which is like my mum in her studio on her own. Yeah, I think because I've had both worlds. I've had a world where I've had to self-study or... What do I mean? So, I mean, like, studying law, like, that whole time literally was like, if you imagine it, yeah, we're talking about a movie, but it was like my voice in my head was loud. Mm. That makes sense? Like, someone's turned the voice up. Before, it was like, you're young and you're running around. and I mean, my, as a teenager, I, I imagine every teenager's voice is loud in their head. <laughs> I can imagine that. But I was a busy teenager. I was a happy teenager as well. I was doing stuff that I loved. I was performing mm. all the time. Um, yes, I had problems like other teenagers, but generally, if you said Ade to one of my friends, they'd be like, oh, smiley guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then when that law period came, it was like, boom, something happened where it was like, okay, pause now. We're turning you off. That's what it You said like. you died. Yeah. yeah. You said you were dead. Yeah, yeah it's like turning you off. Uh, like put on a bit of weight. Just the way I'd walk was like, like slumpy. Like it was just like I could remember it to the point that when I would go back there, like in later years, I never liked to walk around the area where the university was because it was just felt really weird. It took a while for me to be able to walk through those streets, so I had a really bad association with it. Um, but here's the really weird thing: I was loving the tools that law was giving me, like language. Mm. and structure is so powerful like being able to construct things to argue to understand a problem and mm. solve it like mm. you always have to do that someone comes to them and say i've got this case and then you, you have to look at the situation the facts the circumstance and go this is one you, you have to understand perspective as well because you're going to have to argue it mm. actually lawyers are they're really great listeners because if they don't know what the other case is, they can't, you can't debate it properly. So you have to absorb information. But then an actor has to do that as well. 
Mm. So these principles are doubling up in me. So you can get, you said like, okay, I can understand being on my own, but I can also do this. You're right. So I understand when I, the reason why I said self-study earlier on was you, as a law student, you have to be able to, university is about self-study. It's the difference, you know, when you're, you're doing your A-levels at college, you're kind of being spoon-fed. But when you get to university, you have to learn how to study. It's like a master's to go, go and learn a subject in a way, you know? So now you're kind of on your own. You're like, okay, I'm reading a book. And if I don't turn up to the lecture, that's my fault. Like they don't call your parents or anything like that it's on you, right? So you're learning, I'm learning this thing about being on my own and surviving and studying and having to be responsible and accountable for myself. Mm. And then you get to theater, which is more community-based and you're accountable for each other. You're accountable for the play. Mm. But now as an artist, now I've got the balance of, okay, I have to make the work. I've got to show up. I'm accountable. I've got responsibilities. They're expecting the work. But then I also know negotiation and dialogue. So I know how to still talk with the gallery and to communicate. Mm -hmm. I also know how to allow other people in the space and talk about the work because I understand that from the other other parts of my life. Mm. Actors love to talk. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's given the right circumstances. And even if an actor is silent, he or she is intentionally silent. Mm-hmm. but you know it's all of these things so I come to the art world and they're like oh you, you can really express yourself I'm like yeah because I'm coming from the space where you walk into a room and there's a table someone looking at you going go on <laughs> next mm. and you, if you don't make it happen that's it <laughs> yeah so. um, I don't I don't want to just kind of leapfrog over your quite phenomenal acting career, but I do want to get to that moment that you've touched on a few times of when you found art, art found you, you made a mark. And and I know that there's a story about one of the first pieces that you ever did and who bought it. So I'm just kind of interested to kind of um, to do that transition. Yeah. So, you know, when I was studying law, I would write all the time. So I would have, like, they're across the room, but these notepads. Mm. And I just would love scribbling, doodling, and drawing. Didn't think anything of it, but I just would journal. I love to put my thoughts down all the time. And then it got to a point, and this became a practice of mine. Like, if I have a deep thought, I journal it. I write it, and I might doodle with it. I write poetry all the time, all the time, all the time. And it got to a point I was having headaches. They're really bad, intense like bolting at the side of my head. It became kind of second nature. So I didn't really question them. It's just like, oh, it's a thing I had. So I didn't stop and go, I'm having this headache. What does it mean? Why am I having it? Should I speak to someone about it? Should I talk to my mom and we can pray together about it? Whatever, it was just like, no, this is like, it's just a headache. Let's leave it. It's kind of like, I don't know why I did that. Mm. I just lived with it. But it was getting bad and bad and bad. And I find out they would stop a bit if I had a if I had a role where I had like could release myself, like I had a lot to do. It's like it would calm down a bit. But I always felt like mm, a bit frustrated, like restless, massively restless. So you would find me doing loads of different things, like writing a play, doing this, blah, blah. I just felt I had energy, right? Didn't know where to put it. But it got to a point where in my acting career, it was going, it wasn't bad, it was going well, I was working. But after each job, I would just, the headaches would get worse. And even going on stage, as if it didn't, as if the headaches were saying to me, we don't even want you on stage. Like, we want you doing something else. That's what it wow. felt. Like a person trying to go this way, this way, this way. And me going, no, I'm an actor, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. I do this. Wrote a play, put it on in London. Um, I think you even came to one where it was like in a workshop stage in bed, like at Questers, and then did it again and did some other stuff. And... I thought, okay, maybe to get rid of this headache, I have to write. And it mm-hmm. won't go in. It's like it was fighting now, going, where? We're not, we're, we're going to show up. And it's not writing, it's not acting. I'm like, gosh, what's going on? And so I'm doing, working with Nehi Theatre Company, sadly closed this, you know, year. Yeah. And then I had a, like a main role with them. Like it was great. Got this really great role on stage, but still something was missing. 
So I was coming back to my digs and my eyes would just be red. And people go for drinks. I'm not like, I'm not going for drinks. I'm just going back to my digs. Like, what is going on with me? And then I thought, okay, let's try and write. Let's try and write. Not working. Oh my gosh, this is not working. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And um, I just remember literally just being on my knees praying, going, God, okay, who am I? What is going on with me? Because I don't know what's going on. And then it felt like this voice in me just went, go and buy pain. Like that. No, no word of a lie. It was just going by pain. For some reason, when I heard it, it was like, again, I've said this before, if you imagine a baby that's just screaming and crying and you just give the baby milk, it calms down. And when I heard going by pain, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I think I can, this restlessness, oh. hmm, it's just like, it's warm feeling to me like, yeah, I'm going to get some pain. I'm going to feel, it felt the feeling of going to do it felt good. Think about maybe if you're like, what should I eat? What should I eat? Nah, I don't want to eat that. Then like, hmm, pizza. <laughs> but you haven't gone and bought it yet, but already in you, you're feeling like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's that kind of feeling where I'm like, okay, paint, paint. Yeah, when I get back to London, just it. I had a focus because you do an active job, it finishes, you're like, what do I do with myself? Go and do a part-time job. But I was like, hmm, I think there's restlessness I can put here. This is where I'm going to do it. So I got back to London, knew immediately what I wanted to do. I wanted colour. Um, I, I could see lots of colour in my head. I didn't have a reference. I, I thought about Picasso, some white, I don't know, like floating about in my head. I even thought about, this is really weird, Sylvester Stallone, because he paints, right? And I'm a huge Rocky fan. So, I, yeah, and I just remember him doing these figures that were quite twisted. He was just in my head. And I went to Cassar in Leicester Square and I was like, I want color and I want it to be bold. And then I, I bought these ink pens as well, really thick ink pens and pad. I was like, I just want that. Now I've drawn and painted before, but nothing happened. But I think something happened this time because now I was picking the materials up with this intention of something's gonna happen in relation to my headaches, in relation to my frustration. So again, if you imagine like a movie, it's like blocking all the sound out and the camera panning in on you in the pad. It's like that. Mm -hmm. So I get on the bus, um, 263 bus when I was back in North London and I put the ink to the pad and I just went, boom. I was just like going, I just couldn't stop. I was just drawing, drawing, drawing. This image came and it looked pretty shit hard. And I was like, what is this freaking, what is going on? <laughs> Like, wow, this is great. I took it, I dropped the paper on my housemate's table, and he was like, Who drew that? And he's like, Did you do that? He went, You jammy bastard. <laughs> like, and then I was like, Yeah, no, nah. I was trying to style out again. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, I you know. Then I was like, What's going on? Then I got the big pad out and with the paint, and I started to paint, but I had oil at this time, it wasn't acrylic. And it just felt the texture was right, it was thick, but it was drying too slow because in me the energy was really quick right. it was like, no it's going too slow however what I'd painted in front of me looked beautiful and I was like when I saw it I was like of course I don't know why it was like someone taking a veil of, off my eyes something lifted off my head and also the headache just went whew, just went wow. so when I was painting and drawing it was like untying something like a knot and it was a release just off, off my chest. But, and I went up to, my, to the shower upstairs and I, was, I shut the door and I was crying. Because I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course, I've been looking for years. Like something's not right with me. I know something's not right with me. I'm on stage and it's like I've got half of me is performing and the other half of me just feels lost. You're having conversations with people and I'm just restless. And they're like, Ade, man, you're always making stuff. Because I'm like, something's not right. I, I know it, something's missing. And the minute I got this thing, it was like the person who's been walking with me all the time that maybe was like a headache, just like was in front of me going. And it was like, now we're gonna go, now we're gonna go. <laughs> and it, it was almost like all that apologizing about yourself, the compromising, doing what other people want has, it's like the figure with me was saying, no more, it's done, we're done, we're done and just full speed ahead. And that's why people saw it happen at speed. Wow. It, like, 
if you find out this is how you breathe, then I'm like, whoo, like, let's breathe. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So at first it was all coming out almost like we used the term before, like therapeutic. So at first it was kind of needed to be like, it was like healing a bit. So I felt like young again, fresh, like, and it was effortless. The ideas weren't confusing. I exactly knew what I wanted to do. Like it just made sense. So even walking into a gallery or talking to someone, it wasn't, wasn't like, how do I know? It was just like, it felt like everything about me from like law to theater, it was just like all, all of those things made more sense now because like, if you can call this the crown, so to speak, it's like the king's coming to the room is now telling everyone else how to behave. So they all were missing leadership. They all had their function, but they had no guidance. And now the king's kind of coming to the room and going, I'm taking over. This is how you will work. This is how you will work. And this is how you will work. But I'm leading. And the voice that's leading now is the paintings, the visual arts. So everything else, theatre comes when it needs to come. Like poetry comes when it needs to come. Dance, film comes when it needs to come. But this leads. I didn't know what was leading before. Wow. That, oh, that is an amazing story. And I just love how your body knew and your body was telling you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it just took a while to be able to understand what the body was saying, but the, the, the story, the creativity that was, you know, partially being expressed but not totally was, was telling you. That is an amazing story. I didn't know how to access it, though. And that's one thing I still keep, I find interesting. I'm like, why didn't I know? Like, why, why did I have to struggle? And it sounds a bit cliche, but I, what comes to my mind is like at the end of The Wizard of Oz, where she had the ruby slippers on all the time. And the good witch comes and she's like, well, you've had it all along. Mm. Just didn't know. And she's like, well, why didn't you just tell me? She goes, well, because you could, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And then Dorothy had other things to assist her. Like she had the Tin Man, the Lion, the Scarecrow. They're like clues. So for me, it's like I had theatre, writing, film, like all these other things that are like, they're part of me, but they're not the thing. Mm. Whereas the thing was always there. For some reason, I just couldn't see it. Yeah, and, and like you say, the path that you took gave you things along the way, yeah, which great. now it's, is there, that it's there for you to draw on in all your work. So it had to be that way. It's this complex thing of life. I've written a book called Following the Line and that life just cannot be linear. That is why you can't have a blueprint. There's no point someone coming to you and going, okay, Dan, bang, that's your life. This is what you've got to do tomorrow, verbatim. You can have guidance, but in a really weird way, the thing that's going to make you you, you don't know it. Mm. You don't. You have just to discover it. Yeah, you've got to show up. You've got to be brave, like, and not run away. But the thing that makes you, you, you don't know. And I think that's why I'm really passionate today about, like, when someone comes to me and they feel a bit lost, I get excited. So I'm like, you're in a good place. You're going to find it. You've yeah, got to like, it. you're in a really good place. Or when someone's like, Ade, I'm, I'm done with what I was doing before. They actually come to me because they go, you, you weren't afraid to drop something. And they go, I think I want to drop this thing, but I think everyone's going to think I'm nuts. I'm like, why? Then I get excited because I'm like, no, 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 no. If you're feeling it, there's a reason why, you know. Fantastic. I'm, I'm really aware of time, but I have, I have one kind of other question I'd like to ask you. And it's, it's, well, we're, I'm looking at a screen and we can see bits of your work around you. Uh, and that's wonderful. And we will definitely share some pieces of your work when we share this podcast. So people will be able to see your work. Um, but I'm interested in And it might be a hard question to answer. But how do you feel now that your story, this journey that you've taken us all on today, how does that show up in your creative practice? Um, do you mean in terms of how, like, oh, I think I was understanding. I guess you can answer it in whatever way feels right. Um, how does it show up? Um, in different ways. Like, I guess, first of all, it shows up from a, vi if we talk, if we look 
let's say from a visual point of view, mm. I talk about it in two ways. There's people who know me, close friends of mine, and they come and they smile and they go, that's just you on a page. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, Ali, that's you. That's the go, oh, I don't get up, but I could just see it's you, so I'm smiling. So my friends say that. And that's quite really, that's nice to hear because it means I'm not lying. Mm. You know? Because they, they're like, nah, it just makes me feel good or something. Like, I don't know the art language, but I can tell you're being yourself. Or it feels like you found yourself or something, right? Mm. So there's that element. And then I think the combination of what I'm learning all the time are how things connect. And I get interested in more and more. And how to, how to look, here's how my, my path affects what I do now. I didn't come into the art market in the traditional way. I came into it through other means. In other words, like different industries and different scenarios. So I'm encouraged to always look outside the box, so to speak, or to look at other things and not take anything for granted. I mean, absolutely nothing for granted. So my, my body might say, we're not painting today. We're gonna go for coffee. I'm like, great. You know, not, no, we're wasting time. No, 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 because going to have that coffee, and I said my body, if you heard me say that, because mm. I've learned to listen, to listen. Because yeah. this thing was vigorous, man. It really was like, you you got to have to learn to listen and stop. Because I guess maybe it's the Taurian in me. I'm stubborn. I'm kind of like, no, I know what I want. Headstrong. And mm. that can actually get in your way. So I've learned to just, let's say, the power and the pause. In my last show, to pause. And to know that you can get information from anything. Mm. I mean, I, I can be painting and for some reason, I just want to listen to the news. I don't know why. And then I hear one word and I'm like, that's poetic. I change it, you know? And I, ah, so that's where I was struggling today when I wanted to write something down. I found it from there. Why did the, why was I offered it that way? I don't know. But in other words, we are not the master of it all. So I'm just very much, my past has taught me to be just open, just really open to how things come to you, not close things off. But then it's also taught me discipline, structure, and, the, and balance. One of my favorite people in this world is it's not around anymore, but it's Bruce Lee. <laughs> because like I said, from anything, Bruce Lee talks about, uh, one of his famous interviews, he talks about, you know, you, have, you can have one martial artist that's completely technical, right? They know all the moves and all the stuff, and, but there's no animal in them. And then you can have someone who's just completely all heart, but there's no technicality, right? Mm. And he goes, the perfect balance is when you have the combination of the two. Mm. So the technique, but the spirit, this, this flow, this like fire inside. And having that theater background and also specifically even musical theater where you're doing more than one thing, mm. right? And then having the law background where you're learning about context, structure, form, you have to stand and they call moot, moot exams where you have to stand up and present a case. Like all of these things, I just grab the principles and I put it into my work. Thank you. Thank you so much. I could go on. I could go on. That was, that's fantastic, Ade. Thank you so much. Glad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Brilliant. Such great stories. Such great stories. I'd forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh.